0: Luke chapter 12, if you would start reading with me in verse 51. Luke twelve fifty-one. Suppose ye that I am come to give peace on the earth. I tell you, nay, but rather division. For from henceforth there shall be five in one house divided, three against two and two against three. The father shall be divided against the son and the son against the father. The mother against the daughter and the daughter against the mother and the mother-in-law against the daughter-in-law. The daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law. We'll just stop right there. It sounds like a strange scripture, but it's really not. It's right there in the Bible. It's in the Gospels. It shouldn't be strange to us. We have to understand what the Lord's talking about. Uh, There's nothing that divides like Christ. There's nothing that divides like the cross. And there's nothing that divides... uh, like the blood of Jesus or faith in Jesus Christ. He literally is, is separating life and death, light and darkness, uh, sin and righteousness, and the things of this world, and the things of, of heaven and the things of God. There's a division. It's, based, it's not a divider like Christ. His intent is not to divide so, so much as to, to call to separate unto himself. But in the process, because man has a free will and a free choice, there will be division. There will be great division. There will be husbands and wives divided, parents and children divided, strictly over the sake of the gospel. Not over religion, not over necessarily joining the church, but over Christ and that cross and living a crucified life. Here's three and here's two. It says five in a household, three against two. They're not really against each other. But the cross brings that division. They're separated from from one another. And don't ever forget, Christ said, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And Jesus, as he was praying to his father about his disciples, says, Lord, Father, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. They're not of the world in the same way that I'm not of the world. They're not just weird. They're not just strange. Okay? We're strange in the sense that we're a peculiar people set apart under God. That's the only difference of every race, creed, color, gender, age, whatever, separated under God. And that is the difference, and that is supposed to be different. We're to love men. We're to love our enemies. The world doesn't do that. There's a separation. The world doesn't live like that. And so we're talking about the cross in the life of a believer. One old saint from years gone by, someone asked him, it says, what, what country are you from? He says, I'm a Christian. Ask him, what's your occupation? He said, I'm a Christian. And so what's your family history? Like, well, who's, your, who's your parents and ancestors? He says, I'm a Christian. This is a saint of God from years ago because the cross is what defines us. The cross is what separates us. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not the cross you hang around your neck or an emblem or a symbol, but the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ that, that we put our trust in the Christ who died on that cross. And the Bible says um, that, that He died for sin once and that all that are in Him by faith are dead. That we're dead to sin like He's dead to sin doesn't mean we can't commit sin, but as long as we're in Christ walking in faith at that moment, we're dead to sin. We talked about that months ago. Obviously, Christians still sin, but when we do, we're not walking in faith at that moment. If we're walking in faith fully identified with Christ at every moment, then that moment or those moments or days we don't sin. But the cross brings this division. And the Bible says in a passage we all know, you don't have to turn there, but 2 Corinthians five seventeen. you could probably all quote it. I saw it written on the cover of someone's Bible tonight <clears> that was laying on the pew. The Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation, new simply means fresh and new, a new cre- creature or, or creation or building like we're a new thing. OK, if any man in Christ is a new creature, all things are passed away. Behold, all things are new or become new. And this doesn't mean that uh, that the new creature, the born again man or woman is necessarily perfected at that moment. It doesn't say that. But the new creature is without question a new creature in Christ. And Christ is perfect. OK, doesn't mean that I'm necessarily perfect because I'm a new creature in Christ. He is perfecting the saints for the perfecting of the saints, Ephesians 4, 15. God's working in us, but all things are new in Christ and the cross is what brings that the cross. There's a death to the old and that is set behind us. The Bible says that we put off the old right former conversation, the old man with his deeds and that we put on the new man that's created in true righteousness and holiness and the Bible says in Ephesians, I mean, I'm sorry, in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, that for, for we have this treasure in our earthen vessel, that the excellency, the power may be of God and not of us. So the earth, we're still the earthen vessel. We're not perfect, but the treasure inside of us is. Amen. And that before we got saved, Christ did not live in us. We didn't have a treasure in our earthen vessel because the treasure is the Holy Ghost or Christ in you. The hope of glory. So, in that sense, we're new creatures. But it demands a death, not only Jesus's death, and we say, "Thank you, Lord, for dying for our cross," which we do on the cross for our sins. But when we come to Him, there is a surrendering of our life to Him, a laying down of our lives, and then taking it up again by faith to only honor Him, like that last song we we sang, and. The cross brings a severing or a division, like we opened up in Luke about relationships. And this that's primarily what we're going to talk about tonight is in the cross, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, the life of a believer and how it affects our earthly relationships. Okay, how it reflects how it affects our earthly relationship and really the cross severs between Christ and everything else. It's it doesn't make means we're enemies with everything else, but uh, He becomes our sole object of worship. He became, becomes our sole object of, of life. The Lord is your life, it says in Deuteronomy. The Lord is our life. And so everything else becomes uh, under that. Everything else comes, falls and takes its rightful place In Christ, in the life of the believer, our money takes the God wants it to have the right place in our lives, our comfort, our health, our relationships, our reputation, everything and our our relationships with other men, people that we're close to in our very families and, and coworkers and people that everything is to take its right relationship in Christ. It's different now. And we use Abraham and Isaac, you know, because it's such a wonderful Bible example. But once Isaac had waited all those years for the promised child, 25 years from the time of the promise to having a the child, then he grew to a certain age, probably in his teens. And God says, I want you to offer him up as a burnt offering, very specific, not just sort of in some vague way Give him to me. But I want you to offer him up as a burnt sacrifice on the mountain that I will show you. So he gives his son to the Lord and the Lord gave his son back to him. But that relationship now was going to be different. It was going to be assured to be what it was supposed to be in the Lord's. eyes And in Abraham, that Isaac would not be an idol to the man, that Isaac would not steal Abram's heart from the Lord, that the blessing wouldn't be more precious to Abraham than the blesser that gave the gift, amen? And so, um, Jesus asked the question, do you suppose that I came to bring peace on earth? I tell you no, nay, but rather division. And he describes it. He, he says in, in Matthew 10, he did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And so the cross divides. Christ divides, and and you have to think about it. nothing divides like Jesus Christ. Nothing divides, but also nothing. There's not a, a a gatherer, a more perfect gatherer than the Lord Jesus Christ, because he can gather people from every walk of life, from every age of life, from every economic standing, people that were at odds and hated each other in times past. And I've read these the the biography. Of Willie Burton, this missionary to Africa in the Congo, and he talks about he's going places where no uh, white man had ever been. And he's going into the Congo, and there's cannibals and there's rival tribes that hate each other and that murder each other. And he would preach the gospel here, and they get saved and baptized in the Holy Ghost. And this other tribe right across the river or whatever would get saved and baptized in the Holy Ghost. And the chiefs would go. And, and there would be a peace between them and their people. It never happened before. It was unheard of. And, and yet Christ, so there's not a greater gather together than the Lord Jesus either. But we're going to focus tonight on how the cross works in our lives when it comes to our relationships. Okay? Our relationships, specifically with family. Now, I'm just going to... Uh, Read this scripture, or paraphrase it. But Paul says he calls the, the children of the, the people of Corinth, the church of Corinth. He says, they're my, he says, they're my, you're my children in the faith. OK, my children in the faith. He says that you are in our hearts. Second Corinthians seven to die together and to live together. And I think it's interesting. He doesn't say you're my you're my our children in the faith To live and die together. He says to die together and live together. Die together came first. Because there is a dying to self. Before we can really be what we're supposed to be in Christ. In any kind of relationship. Then I need to be walking by faith in Christ. I need to be dead to myself. How can I prefer you and you prefer me? Like the Bible says in the church. To prefer one another. If I don't first die to myself. I think this is what he's talking about. He says from henceforth, I I know no man after the flesh. What is he saying? I know people in Christ. And it says I know them in their relationship with Christ. And I know them as a Christian and how I'm dead to myself. That's how I know people. That's how I'm able to love my enemies and love strangers and love my neighbor as myself and to prefer one another within the body and to give more honor to the brothers of weaker uh, standing or, or... what we perceive as being weaker within the body. I don't know any man after the flesh. I know him in Christ. And there has to be a dying to self before there can be a living that way. And author through this book makes a good point. He says that the cross divides uh, the dearest of earthly ties and dearest, uh, deepest attachments to others. He says it gives us a heart of steel towards ourselves and the most tender heart towards others. And I think what he means by that, we we come to a place in Christ where I'm crucified with Christ, I'm dead, so God can take my life and use it as he wants. He says, I want you to love people the way I love you. So we're not caring and fretting so much about ourselves and who pats me on the back and how God blesses me as much as I'm dead to myself in a sense hardest heart to myself, not that we hate ourselves, but that we're not concerned about serving ourselves. We're concerned with others. And I think about the Apostle Paul when he was uh, getting ready later in his ministry, he was getting ready to go back to Jerusalem and they said, oh, don't go back to Jerusalem. You're, you know, the prophet just said, "Whoever go, you're going to go back and you're going to be bound and you're going to be uh, persecuted and taken. He says, what are you talking about? To make me weep and, and break my heart. I'm ready to go back to Jerusalem and be bound and killed for the Lord if that's what he has for me. You know what he's saying? He doesn't hate himself in that sense, but he's dead to himself. He just wants to serve God. And so there has to be a death to ourself. This is the cross in the life of a believer. When you and I first gave our lives to Jesus, we weren't thinking of all those things necessarily. We were thinking about, I'm a sinner who needs salvation. Christ is the son of God. I believe the gospel message. I believe it. I know I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And Lord, I give my life to you. We don't even know fully what that meant. We know enough to believe and with the saving faith to believe. But then the Lord says, if any man is going to come after me, be my disciple. Let him deny himself. Take up his cross. There's the death. That's the cross in the life of a believer and follow me. And this is what Paul was experiencing and what we're talking about in this study. And I I don't think we're going to be too long tonight, but uh, we're going to talk about this specifically. This is not aimed at any person. This is a study from the book. It's aimed at me as much as it's aimed at anyone but I'm just going to read a few sentences from the book. He says, parents are often so wrapped up in their own children that they cannot bear to see them, their children, take the way of the cross. Talking about Christian parents, they shield them from the path of suffering. And and yet the Bible says if we suffer with him, we'll reign with him. The Bible says that on behalf of Christ it's given unto us, not only to To reign with him, but to suffer with him. Philippians chapter one. To suffer for his name's sake. And and parents can be the most fine Christians, but when it comes to this area, we're so attached to our children, our Christian children, that we want to shield them from, from maybe the life that God's called them to. Does that make sense? We're 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 wanting to protect them from God almost. Because it might be a life or some area of their life that's painful, that's a trial, something that God brings them through. And certainly we want to protect our children if someone's trying to do them harm. But we don't want to protect them from the life that God's called them to. And, and we're going to talk about this the rest, pretty much the rest of the night tonight. Christian young people Many times, you know, we think this generation is just every generation thinks that young people are just the worst ever. And I know we're living in a time in a horrible, sinful generation. Don't don't get me wrong. I understand that. I would say it's the worst ever. OK, but there are still young people that want to follow Christ. They want to. And they desire to. And they're ready to go to China. They're ready to give their all to serve the Lord and take the way of the cross. And a lot of times the parents don't want them to do that because they, they think of their baby having to suffer some hardship or some trial. Now that, that would be natural, but we have to have the mind of Christ. Is this the will of the Lord for my child? You understand what I'm saying? If it is the will of the Lord for my child, then we need to commit them into the hands of God. We are given to protect our children, but not to protect them from every adversity that God may desire to send them into. Okay? And so, uh, Jesus says this, and we don't have to turn there, but in Luke fourteen twenty six, if any man comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children... Brothers and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Doesn't say he can't pray the sinner's prayer. okay, or believe the gospel message. He says if he doesn't hate his mother, father, sons, daughters and so forth in his own life. Also, he puts that in. He cannot be my disciple. He doesn't say they'll have a difficult time. Says they cannot be my disciple. Hate, and that you'd have to study it because we know we're to love the Lord with all our hearts, our neighbors as ourselves, our enemies. God is love. So what does he mean by hate here? It's a good question. It's a fair question. It's a preferential term. It's not hate like we think we hate sin. Okay, we're to abhor, abhor it. Hate is simply a preferential term that Christ is above all in every one of those other relationships, when it comes to Jesus or my father who doesn't want to serve Jesus, Jesus or my child, you understand what? Who doesn't want to serve God. I'm going to serve God. Jesus Christ and my obedience to him and allegiance to him and commitment to him or my spouse who doesn't want to obey Jesus Christ. And that's, it's a preferential term. It's not hatred like we think, like I said, of abhorring sin and things like that. And so there's Christian parents a lot of times who've gone to the greatest lengths themselves maybe to be separated unto God, consecrated unto God, and to show their children a great example of what a right walk with Christ is, so that their children will see that growing up. And we should do that, okay? No doubt about it. Sometimes Christian parents can break down at this point when it comes to what we're talking about. Not turning them over to the Lord. Wanting to shelter them almost from the Lord. Because we think what the Lord has for them may be too harsh. Again, I'm not saying we throw our children to wolves. We need to know what God's will is. Our children need to know what God's will is. I'm not saying we just throw them to the wolves. But the cross begins to lay hold maybe on... You know, this life about really being dead to ourselves. Maybe you have a child that's grown up and they're really saved. And we begin to see the cross of Christ working in their life as a parent. And all of a sudden we say, well, they're losing their friends now. You know, and things like that. Uh, Some of their friends that they had before because their walk is getting more separated unto the Lord. And we want to jump in there and say, no, no, no. And we want to protect them. When God says, yes, yes, yes. This is what I've called them to do. This is what you've taught them all your life. And now you're seeing it in their life. The cross of Jesus Christ work in their life. And parents, because we are, we're human beings, we can break down at this point, so to speak. It can be a weak link in our Christianity. It's not that we're not saved, okay? It's we can give everything else away. But when it comes to those dear little precious Sons and daughters, we don't want to trust them to the Lord, maybe into the life that He has for for them. I'm not saying you're guilty of this. This is a good teaching, though. This is something that we need to hear. And I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Now, Matthew 16, uh, when you get there, we'll, we'll be familiar with the passage where Jesus had been preaching. And at the end of the day, he's with his disciples and he said, who who do men say that I, the son of man, am? He wanted to hear, who do do you disciples hear people saying that I am? Well, some say you're Elijah, one of the prophets or, or something like that. And he says, who do you say that I am? Right. And Peter makes that wonderful, wonderful profession, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, uh, "Blessed out thou, thou, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed us unto you, but my Father in heaven." And I say, "Your name, Simon, you know." And, and upon this this uh, rock, I'll build my, build my church. That profession of faith, not upon Peter, but his profession of faith that he's the Christ, the Son of the Living God. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So he says that. And it says from that time Jesus began to tell all of his disciples. How he, the Son of Man, must be taken and delivered, you know, over to the, the Jews and, and they would crucify him. And Jesus and, and he said and Peter says, look at verse twenty-two, Matthew 16, 22. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. So it's almost like the picture. This is not a, a son-child relationship. But you see how the Lord is the Lord. He's telling his disciples what the father has for him and what is in his his purpose and his calling on this life to go to Calvary to pay the price for the sins of the world, which is totally of God, totally. But it was going to involve suffering. And pain and humiliation and being spat upon and cursed and so forth. Peter says, no, 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 that's not gonna happen to you. It's almost the way we could do with our children. We want them to serve God, serve God, keep your eyes on Jesus, live for God. Then we see the cross coming to work in their lives for real, in their own lives, and what the, the path that God has called them to, and we step in and say, Far be it from you. You know, that's not gonna happen to you. We have to be guard against that. That's not That's not the Lord. We need to be able to give everything to the Lord. And it's only by the working of the Holy Spirit by the cross of the Lord that we're able to do that. And y'all, I promise you, I don't don't speak it totally from experience. I speak it by faith that when we give our children or the most dear things to us, when we we give them fully to the Lord, we will get them back. We'll get them back in the proper way way that they're supposed to be. It'll be joy. It will be wonderful. It will be, and if it's not, the more you tra- cl- you and I cl- claw to hang on to something, we're going to lose it. Talked about it last Wednesday night. Try to hang on to it, we'll lose it. Then, verse 23, but he, the Lord, turned and said unto Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. All right. Far be it from you, Lord, this isn't going to have this whole crucifixion thing that's dying and being taken by the hands of sinners and suffering and dying. Far be it from. That's not going to happen to you. Get thee behind me, Satan, but thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those things that be of men. The cross separates those two. What's of God and what's of man? Our affections are what's of God and what's of man. And it can look very wonderful, our affections and our love and our attachments. But if they have some, some uh, place that they're not supposed to have in, in our hearts, God's going to work to sever that by the cross. And guess what? When he severs it, that, that thing he has severed and us will be in our right place where we need to be with the Father and with each other with God and with each other. And I just thought that was a wonderful uh, scripture to look at it in the, in the sense of that. And so uh, I want to I close. I know we've only been a few minutes, but I want to close. I've got like three real life examples that, that, that the author of this book had. And I want to read all of them because they're wonderful to close with tonight. This, this man who wrote the book says, we know a young woman, Christian woman called to China whose mother warned her, if you ever go to China, you will go over my dead body. Christian mother, okay? And she did. On her deathbed, the mother confessed, daughter is right, and I have been wrong. The Lord showed her. Showed her. That's how she went to China, over her mom's dead body. And what had happened was, the, the cross... The great refiner, the Lord Jesus, who is able to uh, separate, you know, soul and spirit and so forth by his word and to separate men unto himself, he worked in this mother's life. He worked in the mother's life through his daughter's call to China to go to this halfway around the world. And he had to clean some. You know, if you're refining gold, he had to to refine this mother's heart more and get some of the dross, some of the impurities out of her heart and her life. And uh, there was another young lady that was called of God to go to India. Now, this mother of this daughter was not saved. And she was elderly and seemed like the mother needed, needed the daughter's help at this time of her life. But the call of God had come first. The call of God to the daughter to go to India to serve the Lord. It was unmistakable to her. The mother's not even saved. The Christian friends of this young lady say they gave her all kinds of good earthly, I guess, or worldly counsel. that would seem to make sense and said, if you're a real Christian, you'll stay home with your mother and take care of her. The daughter loved her mother. Hey, don't get me wrong. And again, you have to know this is God. That's why it says the call of God was unmistakable. Because if there was any doubt or hesitation, then the daughter ought to stay home and take care of the mother. All right? But the call of God came first. It was unmistakable. She was to go to India to serve the Lord. And the daughter came to a place of the cross where she died. She died to what her friend said. Christian friends. They were giving her this counsel. She died to what everybody thought she should do. And she died to her own reputation because she was from then on counted as being cruel and unloving towards her mother. But she was with her Savior. She was doing what He had called her to do. And so the cross had worked in her life to bring death to even Christian friends and their opinions and so forth. And so she's walking closely with the Lord and she went to India. Her mother was still lost. Still dead in her trespasses and sins. And the cross had come, like we open with that Scripture in Luke tonight, between mother and daughter. The cross had come. That's the only thing. It wasn't, oh, she wants to sow her wild oats. She wants to do this. She wants to do that different personalities, it was the cross that had severed between her and her mother. But y'all, that is the divine order of things. That is God's order that we're to be... uh, Calvary not only divides, but it also draws. And the Bible speaks of Christ... Paul says that Christ has been set forth, crucified before your eyes. And the mother was able to see what that looked like in reality. The lost mother was able to see in her daughter, who had gone to Calvary's cross, died to herself, followed the Lord in obedience. She was able to see Christ set forth before her eyes in a real way. Jesus said, if I'm lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. Christ crucified was lifted up to the mother through her daughter. All the all the gospel messages and everything would would come to reality through to the mother, through the daughter. And Paul says in Galatians, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly set forth among you as crucified. Galatians 3, 1 mother, the mother saw the crucified one. For her daughter had been crucified with Christ. And so the mother sees that. The daughter had her mother in her heart, not to live and die with, but to die and live with. And God honors, how many know that the Lord honors that? The Lord honors when we put him first. He's never going to honor when we put him second or third or, or something else. I don't care, it's the dearest relationship in the world. He is going to be Lord of all in our lives. And He's not going to honor when we we put something else ahead of Him. A good thing can be an idol. A good gift from God can be an idol. A ministry can be an idol. A ministry. You understand what I'm saying? Winning souls. That could be an idol if we put it before the Lord. A mother, if we put it before the Lord. And so time came that... Uh, the daughter came home on her first furlough her first break from India, India, and her mother was still living. She got to lead her mother to Christ. She saw her fall asleep in Jesus and, and quickly laid, you know, later to rest. She got to lead her mother to the Lord and then go back and serve God in India. God honored that. God honored the stand that she took. Again, you have to know that you're here for the Lord. You don't just blow off responsibility of, of, of taking care of parents or children, but you blame it on Jesus? You know, you need to know that you've heard from the Lord. <clears throat> One more case where there was uh, a prodigal son, okay, a wayward son, and he was going to go out and just, just like the prodigal and have a flame. He was just going to go live in the world. He had a praying mother, a Christian mother. He says, Mom's praying for me, you know, uh, I guess I won't get, I'll be protected. I won't get too far out there. I'm just going to just go have my fun. i got a Christian mom back home praying for me, so I guess I won't get too far away. And uh, as the mother was praying for her prodigal son who was out there in the world somewhere, living in the world, God began to convict her about the way she was praying for her son. And her feelings, her personal feelings we're, we're getting in the way of what God wanted to do in the young man's life. Her personal feelings, she's thinking the Bible says the way of transgressors is hard. Lord, protect him from everything. Protect him from any heartache, any hardship, any, anything. Anything that would bruise him, touch him in any way. And she was not fully identified with the Lord and the cross. God spoke to her in the sense that she came to, to realize that she, she had to give her son to the Lord. It's not just a matter of protecting him. He's in sin. He's living in sin. He's away from Christ. What's more important? His eternal soul is more important. And sometimes we forget that. We forget that and we just want to guard against everything. And the man, young man's living in sin. And she contacted her son or he contacted her and he said, Son, I'm no longer asking God to protect you. And save you from all trouble. I'm asking him to get you dead or alive. Oswald Chambers said, Whenever we step back from identification with God's interest in others into sympathy with them, the vital connection with God has gone. I read that again. Whenever we step back from identifying with God's interest in others, say our children, into sympathy with them, the vital connection with God is gone. We're making a choice. We're making a choice to say, "I, I just want what's best for my son. I want to protect it from any injury, harm, heartache. I don't want his heart ever to get broken in any kind of relationship. I don't want friends to turn on him." And God's saying, "No." this is the life I've called him to. He will have things like that, and I will use them in his life to make him more like me. And we need to identify with the Lord in our prayers with our family members and with our children. And to bring a conclusion to that story we were just reading, well, Oswald Chambers says we do this, identify with with sympathy with them rather than the righteousness of God and what he's wanting to do in their lives to break them, to bring them to a place of contrition and brokenness to, uh, to salvation. He says it's a deliberate rebuke to God, a deliberate rebuke to God. That son, that the prodigal son that we just spoke of in his true story is a missionary in Africa today. He got afraid of his mother's prayers. And he died to his own, when when she died to that fleshly attachment and identified with the Lord and what he wanted to do in, in her son's life, her son then followed her through the cross into the resurrection. In a resurrection life and into service to the Lord. He became a missionary to Africa. It's not always the way we think it would be. We need to be mature, mature. We need to hear from the Lord. We need to take God's side. I think it was, uh, I know it's Brother Clendenin shares in his testimony when he was being ordained to the ministry that the pastor that ordained him as he's praying for him said, Lord, if he ever quits preaching the truth, kill him as his hands are upon him. I mean, that's identifying with the Lord. Okay? Not just some fleshly attachment that I really love Brother Clendenin. I hope he does so well. I'm sure he wanted him to do well. But you understand the prayer. I'm identifying with the Lord. If he ever stops preaching the truth, kill him. And I think it was Wesley. I can't remember if it was Wesley or, or Spurgeon's mother. I don't know. That was praying with her children in the room. They could hear their mom praying. And she said, Lord, if, if John, let's say it was John Wesley, never comes to know you and give his life to you, It's not because of me. Let let it be known, Lord, that I'm choosing you. I'm standing on your side. And I'm praying for his soul. But I'm standing with you. Instead of running out there sheltering people from the will of God. I'm not talking about being cruel or harsh. I'm talking simply about the reality of the cross. Really letting the cross have its work in our lives to where that. We see it rightly. We see it like God sees it. We see the bigger picture. We see it like Abraham offering Isaac and then getting Isaac back, giving back to him. I'm not talking about cutting off your children or anything like that. The last example. In the days of the Scottish uh, covenanters, Jane Welch was the, the daughter of John Knox, okay, the preacher John Knox. And she was approached by the prison officials that, with assurance that her husband, so the woman's name's Jane Welch, daughter of John Knox, they're saying, Miss Welch, your husband will be released back unto you safe and sound. He was a preacher, okay? If he would simply renounce the faith. She gathered her apron up right here and says, please, your majesties, I would rather, I'd rather catch his head right here. I mean, think about. She would be considered intolerant and cruel. Now, I'd rather you chop his head off and me catch it right here in my apron than for him to deny the faith. And y'all, this is what the cross does. The cross had worked in her life. She had suffered much because her husband been in prison for so long. Sure, she wanted her husband back. Sure, she loved her husband. But she she's identifying with Christ. The cross had worked. In her life, our modern sentiments and thoughts would call that intolerant. They're dogmatic. She's unloving, but she truly loved God first and her husband as herself. Her husband as herself. She, She had suffered and yet she still had him in her heart to die with him and to live with him. We die first. To ourselves, we die and identify in death, the death of our Lord Jesus Christ to sin and what we've been talking so much in this study on Wednesday nights to self. It's not just to sin and immorality that we die to. We do die to that. We have to die to self. We don't hate ourselves. We don't get a whip and beat ourselves on the back. We die to ourselves. To where it's no longer I, like Paul said, that lives, but Christ who lives in me and through me. And so I'm just going to close with that thought, y'all, that that's that the cross is the true way to victory and to life. It's a paradox. Whoever seeks to save his life and this life will lose it. Whoever will lose his life for the sake of the Gospel, the same shall save it. And that story about Jane Welch is, is about as clear a picture as you can give about earthly relationships and the work of the cross. She wasn't cruel. She was loving. She loved God first. And she loved her husband as herself. Amen? And so I just want to close with that tonight. Y'all pray with me. Y'all stand. And uh, Chris is just going to play a little bit and maybe uh, close us with a chorus when we're through praying for a few minutes.